Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and sustain him, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and saw a well of water. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. God was with the boy, and he grew. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Would you please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come out here this morning and worship you and to study your word. Father, as we spend a, a moment this Sunday to honor all the mothers in our life that have made it possible for us to be where we are, Father, we don't forget to honor and worship you. Father, because it is only because your love and grace that we can be here this morning. But Father, as we study your word and, and, we, and we listen to your message, Father, we just ask that you open our hearts and minds so that we can understand what, what it is that you have for us to learn this morning. And Father, we just ask that you'll help us to praise your name and honor you in each and everything we do. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, one thing I've noticed is that as we get older, time and maturity, we hope maturity, tends to make us understand things a little bit different than we understood the first time around. You know, in, in hindsight, I really can't imagine going through some of the things with my own children that my mother went through with hers. Now, I've got four girls, and, and I can honestly tell you that there are days where it is a very big challenge but there's other times that is a wonderful blessing. Uh, I mean, last night the girls, if I didn't come home and have cake that they were making for me, they were gonna bring the cake over here where I was working. So uh, it was wonderful blessing to have uh, uh, all my girls for my birthday yesterday. But I can't imagine what my mom went through. I grew up, we had five boys and two girls. And honestly, I think just a couple of us put her through more trouble and more difficulties than all my girls combined. You know, when I was growing up, I wasn't as pleasant as I am now, or as patient as I am now. Yeah, I'm getting some dirty looks. Be honest with you, I had, I had one heck of a temper, and I still do, to be honest with you. Uh, sometimes I control it better than others. But when I was a child, let's just say that I had a very short fuse and there was no holding me back. And I have an older brother who wasn't too much different than I am. And we tended to butt heads quite a bit. My older brother, Sean, and I, we, we fought like cats and dogs over the littlest things. And I, I tend to remember, I, I seem to recall it was its worst, probably about my first year of junior high and his last year of high school. I was probably somewhere around 13, and I weighed probably around 125 pounds. And to give you a better perspective, Sean was a senior, so he was 17, 18 years old. He was six foot tall, uh, he wrestled, he played football, he played baseball, and he bench pressed about 350 pounds. And that's not exaggerating. So my, my girls today, even though, even though he's older, and as we get older we lose a little bit of our size and definition, my girls can tell you Uncle Sean's a pretty big guy, isn't he? So at that time he had probably biceps about like that. You know, his goal was to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's not a joke, believe it or not. Um, 
Now being 13 and 125 pounds and probably maybe 5'6 or 5'7 at the time, I was foolish enough that I didn't think twice about getting angry and lashing out and, and not just pushing Sean. I would literally throw a punch and, and deck him right in the face. I wasn't too bright either. And I think Sean pushed my buttons on purpose because he liked to get a rise out of me. Probably the most clear fight I can ever remember us getting into. We were in, my, in our kitchen, and we had one of those old dishwashers. Ladies, you probably remember these. When they first came out, how they weren't necessarily ones you installed in the cabinets because they weren't built for them. They were standalones with a butcher block top, and they had a big hosing you pulled out, and you had to connect to the bottom of the sink faucet. You remember those? Well, we had one sitting in the middle of our Harvest Gold kitchen, and it was almost like a, uh, a kitchen island. And Sean and I got to arguing. We started, we started having words back and forth. And, and we stayed on opposite sides of the uh, island for strategic reasons on my part. And Sean decided to reach across and push me. And that's all it took. And I hauled off and, and I hit him. So he hit me back. And, and I reacted. And normally we would just come to fisticuffs. But I looked down and laying on that... Uh, that makeshift island we had was my younger brother's, Uncle Aaron's, uh, plastic M16 machine gun. So I grabbed a hold of the thing and I busted it upside, the side, upside his head. Let's just say the funny games were over. About that time, my mother walks in. And my mom's about five foot one and three quarters at her tallest. You know, she's tended to shrunk since then. And when she wouldn't normally interrupt our fights, mom would get in the middle and she'd kind of break us up and she'd try and stand her ground. And I can imagine her frustration because Sean and I wouldn't stop. We'd pick, we'd grab, each grab a side, pick her up, move around the way and go back, back to fighting. So I, <laughs> so I can only imagine the, the frustration she must have felt at times. Well, she walks in that kitchen and she sees Sean trying his best to punch me, me swinging the gun still at his head, and she just loses it. She walks in, grabs the gun out of my hand, and starts beating the tar out of both of us with this machine gun. And that's about how we reacted. I mean, we were laughing so hysterically as mom beat us. The punishment was all but lost on us. But looking back, I can only imagine, I can only imagine that frustration she felt. Because looking back as a parent, it's obvious that something snapped in her. And she, she was at a point where she had no idea what she was going to do, no idea how to handle, a, handle us at the time, and she just plain lost it. Moms, have you been there before? I know some dads are sitting there saying, yeah, I've been there too. But dads, you're usually included with when, when moms have lost it. I think every mother in this room, if you haven't yet, you will hit a time in your life, where you, you're faced with what seems like an impossible situation, whether it be because you've got a, a husband that's walked out, or maybe one that is, is so caught up with work, you feel like you're essentially all alone at home, or maybe because you've got uh, children that you're just up to here with, and you have no idea how to, how to deal with them, how to get through to them. Or maybe there's some other circumstance in your life that's, that's really got, your, got you beside yourself and trying to figure out how you're going to get through the current crisis you're facing. Matter of fact, I believe each and every one of us 
faces a time where we feel like we're all alone, we're out of options, and we have no idea how we're going to get through today. The question we need to be asking ourselves is, when we come to these circumstances, when we come to these trials, how do we get through them? How do we go on even when we're, we feel like we're facing impossible, an impossible situation? How do we get through it? In this passage, we see a mother who faces that very same situation. Hagar had been living as a servant to Abraham's wife, Sarah. And God had promised Abraham that he would, he would give him an heir and he'd make him a mighty nation. His, his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. And you see, to get the, best, or the better idea, you've got to understand a little, bit about, a little bit about Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was old even by today's standards. Sarah, who was also fairly old, had been barren her entire life. And as this promise drug on, and they didn't see any sign that God was going to fulfill it, it the, the glimmer of hope he'd given them became very, very distant. It became very, very faint. And, these, and they began to wonder how it was ever going to happen. So Sarah took matters into her, <clears throat> into her own hands. And she takes her servant, Hagar, and she gives her to Abraham as a surrogate mother. She gives her to Abraham. And so Abraham takes Hagar, and after she conceives and has a child, she finds herself in, in a completely different environment. You see, before Hagar was just a servant. Afterwards, while Hagar is still a servant, her son Ishmael affords her a certain place in the household. She's got a certain reputation, a certain status, because where Sarah could not provide Abraham with a son, Hagar has. And she's also at a point where she's expecting a certain amount of inheritance uh, for Ishmael on behalf from Abraham. So Hagar has, has had a complete life change, in her view, in the positive, where suddenly, before she even knows what's happening, she finds herself completely, her situation completely reversed. She finds herself being cast out of Abraham's household and cast out from a place of comfort and security. And she finds herself and her son Ishmael wandering through the desert, wondering what in the world the future is going to hold for them. Now, if you just look at these verses, if you just look at these, these few verses here from in verse uh, 14 through 21, it would be very easy to see Abraham in the wrong light. I mean, it'd be very easy to look at Abraham as if he was a, uh, one of our modern-day deadbeat dads, you know, who, who may be behind on the child support and uh, uh, walked out or walked out on the family and, and never looked back. But that wasn't Abraham's case. Abraham wasn't somebody who rejected his wife or rejected uh, his concubine and his child because he didn't care. If you go back and look at verses uh, 8 through 13, what you find is that the Abraham, uh, or you see Abraham in a totally different perspective. You see, Abraham found himself in a difficult situation. The presence of uh, the servant bearing, who bore his child and was essentially an heir, and then the presence of Isaac, the son that God finally gave to him and Sarah, started creating some tension in the household because each, each woman was jockeying, so to speak, for uh, her son's position as heir, as Abraham's heir. 
each, each one was concerned about with the future of their son. So Sarah, being Abraham's wife, demanded that Abraham would send the son away, send the servant and her son away, and, and get him out of the picture. Now, I, I know most of us are probably sitting here saying, how in the world could Abraham ever do that? How could you cast your son aside and send him off to who knows where without any idea what fate might have for him? And I use that term loosely. But you see, Abraham didn't. Abraham, it says, was, he was uneasy about it. He didn't want to send Ishmael away because he loved his son. And it was only when God stepped in and said, look, don't worry about it. Go ahead and listen to Sarah because I'll be watching Ishmael. I'm going to care for him and I'm going to cause him, I'm going to make sure that he does well. I'm going to make sure he prospers in this life. You see, both Abraham and Ishmael faced impossible situations. And I believe, I believe that from examining their responses and the outcomes of their situations, we can learn how to overcome impossible situations. How do we deal with circumstances in our life when we seem like we're out of options? We seem like we have no choices. You see, Hagar's, Hagar's situation epitomizes the struggle every one of us runs into at some point in time, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever been in that state in your life where you don't feel like you've got any choices, you don't got any help, and you feel like you don't have any hope? I know I've been there. And I believe each and every one of you have been there at some point in your life as well. You see, Abraham's household, he had a large household. Abraham was wealthy. God had, God had blessed him so much, he had tons of money. He had lots of servants, lots of sheep and cattle. I mean, it was amazing how much this, this man who came out of uh, the land of Ur with almost nothing, it was amazing how much God had given him. So Hagar, even though she was a servant, had really never needed for anything since she came into Abraham's household. She always had somebody to help her, somebody to guide her. You know, when the, when the household picked up and moved from here to there, she didn't have to worry about where they're going or when they got there. She just followed the leader, and she was good. Even though there's always times of want, Abraham had a very successful household. So even when they began to worry about when are we gonna, where are we going to find our next watering spot, I don't believe Hagar ever really went without. She was the servant of Abraham's wife. So among servants, she was, she was pretty up there. You know, she would, have, she would have received a certain amount of uh, resources, a certain amount of care. So I don't, I don't believe that uh, Hagar really had to deal with some of the uh, struggles that many of the other people had to. She was in a, in a wealthy household, had lots of food, lots of water, lots of provisions. So she didn't have to worry so much about where her next meal was coming from. Somebody already took care of it. But now... She finds herself and her son alone in the wilderness. They had no idea where their next meal was going to come from. They had no idea how long their water was going to last. And really, they, don't, they had no idea where they are going. They didn't have any idea where, what kind of shelter they would have, where they would spend the night, what tomorrow might hold for them. She had no one to help her. She had no one to guide her. 
because she, she was faced with loneliness and she was faced with helplessness. And when their water ran out, Hagar had no idea what she's going to do. Most parents will do anything for their children. They'll sacrifice anything, whether, whether the children realize it or not. Most parents will sacrifice anything or endure any hardship for the sake of their children. But how do we continue when we have nothing else to give? How do we go on when we have nothing else to sacrifice and no one who's willing to help us? When we're faced with impossible situations in life, there are really only two ways we can respond. We can either respond with despair or we can respond with faithful obedience. When Abraham was faced with his impossible decision, I mean, he had to send his son into the wilderness. I know we look at Hagar, but I believe that Abraham's plight was every bit his heart. He had to send his son in the wilderness with nobody but, but his mother to watch over him. I mean, this was a dangerous place, not to mention a desert, essentially. He was torn between uh, two women and between two sons. He loved them both. And it was not until the Lord promised Abraham, he said, I will watch over Ishmael. I will prosper Ishmael. That's when Abraham said, okay, I'll let him go. Not because he didn't care about Ishmael, but because he trusted God. Abram had seen how God works. He had seen how God keeps his promises. God promised him a son. He was 100 years old and had, had a son to a barren woman. If you can't trust God's promises after that, I don't know what's going to convince you. So when God said, don't worry about it, I'm going to prosper Ishmael too, I, Abraham said, all right, God, you got it covered. I'm good. So it wasn't that Abraham wasn't worried. It wasn't that uh, Abraham didn't care. It's that Abraham didn't despair because he knew he wasn't out of options. He had plenty of options, plenty of support, and plenty of help because he had God. When Hagar, Hagar faces this impossible situation of being alone in the wilderness with no water to meet, meet the needful cries of her son, she fell into despair. Her loneliness and her helplessness turned into hopelessness. The only option she could see, the only choice she had left, was to take her son, place him in the shade of a bush, and to get him and walk away, probably about several hundred yards, far enough that she could no longer hear his anguished cries. Now, I know it's easy to judge Hagar and say, how could you do that to your son? What else could she do? She couldn't alleviate his suffering, and she, her heart couldn't take his cries. So the best she could hope for was to go, go where she couldn't hear him anymore, even though I'm sure she still heard him in her heart. She still knew he was going through, and get on her knees and just weep. You know, when we're faced with impossible situations, we can either respond in 
faithful obedience or we can respond in despair. No matter how difficult things might seem, God has a way of bringing you through your circumstances and not necessarily out of them. There's a delicate balance to the trials that we face. God never promised us an easy life, but he did promise us that he would never leave us or forsake us. He doesn't give us so much that we reject him, nor does he give us so little or nor does he give us so little that we forget him. God lets us experience just enough hardship to keep us dependent on him. As the writer of Proverbs in verse, uh, chapter 30 says in verses 8 and 9, he says, Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me the food I need, otherwise I might have too much, and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. The idea is that if we have all the resources we want, we have all the answers we want, we have all the things we, we want, we won't turn to God for anything. But God lets us go through just enough, just enough to build our character, build our strength, build our faith, but keep us dependent on him and keep us trusting in him. The idea is that we don't have to have all the resources. We don't have to have all the answers or we don't have, enough, have to have enough strength to make it through every trial we face. We just have to know and trust the one who does to keep his promise. You know, in the last five verses, and I know, I know it's uh, early, and I know everyone's wanting to get out of here so they can celebrate their Mother's Day, and I'll try to keep this very short. But in the last five verses, I'd like to show you five reasons that when you go through your circumstances, when you go through difficulties, no matter what they may be, no matter how hard they may be, I'd like to show you five quick reasons why you, why you can trust God to carry, through, carry you through whatever trials you face. First of all, in verse 17, God is aware of our circumstances. You know, when the angel of the Lord came to Hagar, he asked her, what was the matter? You see, God knew exactly what was going on and what they needed, but he didn't see anything worth crying about. There's no reason for Hagar to be sitting in the dust in despair and crying over her situation. All she had to do is turn to God in faith and ask him. God knows our circumstances. He's aware of each and everything we go through. And what's more important is God has a solution before we're aware of the problem. Jesus made it clear to his followers <coughs> that our Heavenly Father knows each and every one of our needs. And he intends to provide for them. Because of this, we can pursue his kingdom without worrying about what tomorrow will bring. We don't have to worry about how we're going to get through uh, the next set of circumstances. Instead, all we got to do is, is focus on being obedient and trusting in faith today in this very moment and trust that God will work out the end, the end results. Second of all, in the second part of verse 17, we see that God hears our pleas when others can't. God hears our pleas when others can't. When Hagar left Ishmael under the bush, she walked away probably several hundred yards, far enough that she couldn't hear him. And I promise you, if Hagar couldn't hear him, there was nobody else on earth that could. But no matter how far away you get, no matter how distant you, go, you are, no matter how remote you are, you can never go so far that God will not hear your pleas. You can never get so far from God that he can't hear you cry out in need. 
See, when Jonah found himself in the belly of the whale, in the depths of the ocean, because of his own disobedience, he lay there and he cried out to God. And guess what? God heard him. God forgave him and God saved him. I don't care how far you wander from God. I don't care how, how badly you feel you've, you've let him down. You can never get so far that God won't step in and restore you. You can't get so far away from God that he can't hear your cries in the pain of your need. God is always near and he is always listening for what you need. Thirdly, we see that God responds to our faith. You know, in verse 18, it says that the angel of the Lord, which many believe is a Christophany, which would be a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And I won't get into all the explanation on there but right now, but uh, uh, when the angel of the Lord comes down or, or speaks from, from heaven, he tells Hagar to get up, help the boy up, and to support him for or because... I will make him a great nation. See, God was not responding to the faith of Hagar. I mean, Hagar is giving up. We've seen that, right? She, she didn't even cry out to God. She didn't even pray to God. She collapsed in the dust and cried. God was responding to the faith of Abraham. You recall, he told Abraham, I will make Ishmael a great nation. And it's when he, God told him that, that Abraham believed and trusted God and let him go. So when, it, when God comes in and steps in, he's responding to Abraham's faith in the promise of God that God will keep his word. God responds in, in, to our faith. You know, when Jesus came and he died on the cross for each and every one of us, he made forgiveness available to the whole world. The Bible says he made it available for everybody. But not everybody. God made forgiveness and eternal life available to the entire world. But that doesn't mean that everybody's forgiven. It doesn't mean that everybody is saved. Forgiveness and eternal life are offered freely, but they're only available through faith. God responds to the faith of those that believe and trust in the promise of eternal life. We can face God, or we can face our circumstances, whatever they may be, and trust God to carry us through them, because God responds to the faith of those that believe in him and those that trust him. Fourth, we see that God reveals options that we overlook. You know, when Hagar was desperate in despair without any hope in the Lord, God opened her eyes to see what she had missed in her despair. He revealed a well of water. I mean, it was, common, it was common for nomads then to dig wells along trade routes. So that way, in different spots, they could stop and water their animals. I, I believe they actually still do that today. But in her despair, Hagar overlooked this potential resource. She overlooked this option in her circumstances. And I believe a lot of times that we, we are all, when we are trapped by despair, we overlook some of the times the most obvious answers. You know, through the years, the Jews have been persecuted heavily. 
I mean, I, I think we can all agree on that. And they've been persecuted for different reasons. I'm not just talking about, you know, in our own, or um, not my lifetime, uh, and not, I don't think in too many of y'all's lifetime, but some of y'all may have been alive at that point. Um, we all know about uh, the persecution of the Jews during World War II, right? Do you know why, what Hitler used as an explanation to make them the bad guy? They were financially prosperous in a time when everybody else was destitute. You go back a little bit further, quite a few years before that, during the bubonic plague. They were again, they were again the underdog. You know why? Because when everybody else was getting sick, guess who wasn't? The Jews. So rumors spread that they were planning this disease, and they were the cause of it. It wasn't that complicated. It's very simple, actually. You see, I can't tell you how many times that people come to me and say, well, what do I do in this situation? What do I do in that situation? People who are looking for answers that are right in front of their eyes. You know, the word of God is essential for salvation. It contains everything we need to know to get to heaven. But you know what most people forget or don't realize? It contains a whole lot of practical information that's, that's useful today in everyday life. The reason the Jews were prosperous during a time of a recession is because they obeyed the principles in God's word that allowed them to prosper. The reason they didn't get sick when everybody else was is guess what God's word tells them to do? Wash with running water. Everybody else was washing the same buckets. Of course they're all getting sick. <clears throat> if we took the time to study his word and seek him in prayer, he reveals options that we often overlook. We can follow and trust God despite no matter what circumstances we face because God reveals options that we often overlook ourselves. And lastly, verses 20 through 21, God keeps his promises. We can trust God and follow him in obedience no matter what we face because God keeps his promises. You know, it's in this passage that we see, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. When Hagar did as God instructed, God did indeed respond by keeping his word. I mean, this is when we, where we see God responding to the faith of Hagar. Hagar got up, she did what he commanded, and trusted that God would do what he promised. And Ishmael, Ishmael did in fact grow into a great leader of men, and his offspring into a mighty nation. And, and a test, as a testament to uh, Hagar, I believe Hagar continued uh, following what the Lord, or following the Lord in faith, because when, when, when Abraham died, Ishmael came back with Isaac to bury his father. As a matter of fact, if, if, unless I recall incorrectly, uh, some of the people that, uh, uh, that the Jews encountered on the way back from Egypt still knew God whether they're following him or not, and we know the Jews didn't always do that either, but whether they're following him or not, he was still, they still had a knowledge of God because of their ancestry from Ishmael. Jesus promised that if we follow him, then he would make our burden light. By no means does he say that, that we will not experience difficulties. By no means does he, not, does he say that we will not experience hardships in life. In fact, Jesus promised just the opposite. He said, if they persecuted me, 
then they will surely persecute you. But what he did promise is that my yoke will be light. In other words, no matter how hard life gets following Jesus, instead of following the world, it will be an easy burden to bear because he's the one bearing it for us. Even in the toughest, toughest of times or the darkest of hours, no matter how difficult it may be, the Holy Spirit can bring us peace that defies all explanation. Even when you're faced with the loss of a child, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job with no, no idea how you're going to support your family, trying to support and raise kids all by yourself without a father in their life. God can carry you through that circumstance, the <clears throat> events in your life, and can help you do it with peace in your hearts. 